With most of the primaries finished, Democrats and Republicans are anxiously looking towards the midterms. What did we learn from these primaries and how can we materialize these lessons into wins in November? This is Big Red and you're listening to the Big Red for America show. Trump endorsed candidates won big, which shows he's still seen as a leader in the Republican Party. Even in battleground states like Arizona, which went for Biden in 2020, I believe every single Trump endorsed candidate won their primaries. Most notably, we saw for Governor Carrie Lake, who won by a five point margin. Her biggest competitor was endorsed actually by the current governor of Arizona and former Vice President Mike Pence. So this race was a good indicator of how much influence Trump still has in the Republican electorate. Now, the race was very close, but Lake was still victorious, which shows that Trump is going to be able to edge out a lot of the Republican establishment for at least a while, or that the current Republican party, the current Republican electorate, doesn't feel that the current Republican quote-unquote establishment respects their views as much as maybe they used to in the past. We also saw Trump endorsed Secretary of State Mark Fincham, won by 20 points, Senator Blake Masters won by 12 points, and Attorney General Abe Hamada won by 10 points. We also saw the same success over in Pennsylvania, which also went for Biden in 2020. Governor Doug Mastriano won by 20 points in his primary, of course endorsed by Trump. And then Senator Mehmet Oz, but he actually only won by 900 votes. So once again, this shows that a quote Trump endorsement is not necessarily a guaranteed victory, but definitely will help propel some even unlikely candidates to victory. And perhaps might be the only reason why they won. And like I said before, his endorsement even toppled Republican quote unquote establishment politicians, most notably in Wyoming with Liz Cheney, who lost her primary to a Trump endorsed candidate by 30 points after she had won her last primary with 73% of the vote. So that's a 40 point swing. Of course, there's other reasons why Liz Cheney lost. It's definitely not just because her opponent was Trump endorsed, but we'll get into that later. We also saw the Arizona Speaker of the House, Rusty Bowers, he also lost his race for state Senate also to a Trump endorsed candidate. Now, both of these candidates have something in common. They both participated in the January 6th hearing. I mean, I've already spoken on this matter in a previous podcast, pointing out how it's an absolute circus filled with clowns. But I don't think voters are necessarily repudiating these candidates because of their support um, of the January 6th shenanigans, as much as uh, Liz Cheney might pretend that it's so, but rather because their vain attempts to appear moderate actually end up making them become squishes. Now, what is a squish, you might ask? Michael Knowles actually stated this in his show when he talks about Liz Cheney's loss. He defined it as someone who voted with Republicans most of the time, as Liz Cheney did, but when it came down to it, when it mattered most, when she was asked to choose between Democrats and Republicans, Liz Cheney squished and sided with the Democrats and Nancy Pelosi. In her concession speech, Liz Cheney said, 
Quote, two years ago, I won this primary with 73% of the vote. I could have easily done the same again. The path was clear, but it would have required that I go along with President Trump's lie about the 2020 election. It would have required that I enable his ongoing efforts to unravel our democratic system and attack the foundations of our republic. That is a path I could not and would not take, unquote. So instead, instead of doing all that, which you could have easily said or thought or believed that Trump, the election was not stolen from Donald Trump, but no, you decided to do a complete 180 and vote with the Democrats to impeach a president after he's already left office, which is questionably constitutional, and then participate as the vice chair on a committee that was not fairly appointed to investigate Trump and continued to investigate Trump even after the FBI said he had nothing to do about planning the January 6th raid. <sighs> you lost your you lost your primary because you decided to become a Democrat. I mean, that's that's really why you lost. The same with Rusty Bowers. I'm fine if you don't overturn an election without evidence. I completely support that. But it's always a bad look when you represent a red state and you're seen hugging Liz Cheney and shaking hands with the likes of Adam Schiff and other Democrats who who do probably hate you and would absolutely talk behind your back and your constituents' back if they saw you on the street. But in that moment, in that moment to them, you are a useful tool for their political narrative. A Republican going against Trump gives them gives their political shenanigans some extra credence. I mean, you're just a useful fool. So what we have learned so far from these primaries is that Trump endorsed candidates do better in primaries, but we still really have yet to see about general elections. Trump's success rate for 2022 is 92% so far, um, which is impressive, especially because Democrat candidates uh, currently don't want to be endorsed or seen with Joe Biden. <laughs> and so far, Trump's also 100% in endorsements for general victories. But then again, he's also only one for one. We also have to remember that some of the influence in these special elections is, or I guess this one special election, is that Biden is so grossly unpopular, he's almost as unpopular as Trump was at the same point of his presidency. And also factoring into all of this, the House of Republican, the House of Representatives, sorry, looks like it's going to be controlled by Republicans next year, with 538 polls giving Republicans a 78% chance of winning the House, which of course is huge for Republicans because now we can officially stop Biden's agenda dead in its tracks, and we don't have to rely on Democrat, Democrat senators, cinema, and mansion. So we don't necessarily know that Trump endorsements will lead to victories in the generals like they do primaries, but we still are seeing almost a red wave heading into the midterms. But, so, we know this, is Trump endorsing winning or winnable candidates for the, mid, for the midterms? That's really the next logical question. So we know that the House will most likely go to the Republicans this November, but what other key races in battleground states could Trump have, could Trump endorsed candidates have a deciding role in? Is Trump's endorsement helping or hurting? So first, we'll look at the Pennsylvania Senate race, which features um, Mohammed Oz, 
who was endorsed by President Trump for the vacant PA Senate seat. He's currently falling farther and farther behind his opponent, David Fetterman, with the current popular vote currently split 50% to Fetterman, 46% to Oz, according to 538. This is especially concerning for Oz because Fetterman suffered a stroke days before his primary and has been largely absent from the campaign trail until recently. Oz was given two free months to campaign against Fetterman with no resistance and has actually lost support over that same period of time. But as Fetterman gets back into the public eye, even some Democrats are losing faith. Here's a clip uh, from CNN. Legitimate questions do remain about Fetterman's health. From Erie to Pittsburgh. Steel workers! Pennsylvania's Democratic candidate for Senate, John Fetterman, back on the campaign trail more than three months after suffering a stroke. If I'm your next senator to Washington, D.C., guess what? You're still going to have a senator that's going to be living across the street from your steel plant. Rallying members of the United Steelworkers Tuesday, Fetterman was on message, but often halting in his speech and occasionally dropped words mid-sentence. Being anti-union is anti-American. What is wrong with demanding for an easy, safe kind of their income, a path to a safe place for them to win, or excuse me, to, to work? But even still, even with all of this, even with some Democrats losing faith, Mr. Oz is still having a hard time getting support. According to the National Review, they said that Oz has a 63% unfavorability rating among Pennsylvanians, despite Republicans being more favored than Democrats on a generic congressional ballot. Also, Joe Biden is horrifically unpopular in Pennsylvania, specifically his job popularity, is that it's horribly low, it's at 36%, and 84% of Pennsylvanians believe the country is headed down the wrong track. Like I said, despite this, Oz is still trailing Fetterman, according to 538, by five points, four to five points. National Review ended their article by saying, right now, it looks like Pennsylvania Republicans just gave away the Senate seat by nominating Oz, unquote. Now, of course, they kind of blame Pennsylvania Republicans who don't really have a choice in who they nominate, I guess, just by vote. Oz won by like 31% of the vote, so by far he doesn't have a consensus among Pennsylvania Republicans, but he needs to quickly get one. And this begs the question, did Trump endorse the wrong candidate? Trump may have endorsed the wrong candidate in this race. Now, that's, now granted, we still have a very long time before election day, and anything can change, but right now it's not looking too good. It seems like uh, Oz is having a hard time ditching his Hollywood connections to connect with Pennsylvania voters. Fetterman is currently spending a lot of time and money trying to show that Oz is out of touch with Pennsylvania residents, and it seems to be working. In fact, I actually got a message on my Instagram saying, from a concerned Pennsylvanian, it started with, quote, Dear Philosopher King Big Red, unquote. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry, it didn't actually start like that. Um, I wish it did, but it then it actually started, quote, how can I, with 
a clear conscience, vote for a Hollywood elite that doesn't even care about me, unquote. Which is never a good message to receive about a political candidate. And I think um, if the Oz campaign were to see this, they should really be worried. This message was from a PA resident regarding, the, obviously, the Senate race between Fetterman and Oz. And I responded like I respond to almost any of these sort of questions. How can I vote for X candidate or how can you vote for X candidate? Um, I responded by saying, essentially, if you abstain from voting, because I'm, I'm assuming that this person would not vote Democrat, you're essentially actually voting for Fetterman, which is true. Oz will need every vote to win in November and Fetterman is radical. If you don't vote for Oz, you are essentially voting for his platform, which supports unrestricted abortion up to the point of birth because he supports the Women's Health Protect Protection Act. He supports universal health care, which is obviously a disaster. He supports heavy restrictions on the Second Amendment. And here he is supporting the abolition of the filibuster to, pu to push democratic initiatives. To get things through, there is a discussion among some Democratic senators that you need to basically end the, the filibuster, which is sort of the, the long way of saying that 60 vote threshold to get things done. There's not unanimous agreement in your party in the Senate on what should happen. Do you agree? Would you support ending the filibuster if you're in the Senate? Yes, I would. And and here's why, because these are some of fundamental changes that are truths. They, like if, if you don't support raising the minimum wage to $15 an hour, I want you to live and work for $7.25 an hour and show me how you can actually get by or feed your family, quite frankly. And in order to get those kind of important uh, things passed, whether it's climate change or, or things like that, you need to get rid of the filibuster. You know, this this idea that some random senator from a state with 600,000 people can hold up the Democratic will and the sense of urgency that these policies uh, are come, uh, coming from, um, it, I, I don't think that's very democratic at its core. So, of course, I mean, he's talking about he needs to pass a $15 minimum wage without the filibuster, which, of course, is economically ruinous and will only accelerate the inflation we're already experiencing. And then he wants to bring up the climate crisis. And I find this is extremely interesting because on his website, he promises to protect natural gas jobs in Pennsylvania. But can he be trusted? And the answer is, of course, he can't because Biden promised the exact same thing and has not delivered. And it's also finally encouraging to see a potential senator that doesn't understand why the Senate exists. He says, I can't understand why a senator that represents a state with 6,000 people can hold up, you know, whatever initiative. Which was the entire point of the Senate was to allow states with small populations like Rhode Island and Connecticut, Vermont, New Hampshire, um, from just being dominated by bigger states. At the time, it would have been New York, Pennsylvania. And now we still see New York, Texas, Florida, California from just running the United States. That's the whole point of the Senate. So it's very encouraging that someone running for that position doesn't even know why the Senate exists in the first place. But beyond that, so if you're not voting for Oz, if you're abstaining from voting for Oz for whatever reasons, you're voting in support of all that. Because you have to remember that elections are between two candidates. Not voting for one is supporting the other. Like I said, I had someone once ask me how I could vote for Trump because I was, quote, so nice. Um, and then they went on and on to talk about how evil Trump was and how could I support all that. 
And I just had to pause. I had them pause and I said the exact same thing that I said right here. You know, elections are between two candidates. Point, t tell me how Hillary is any better than Trump. And that's what I had them do. I said, anything you're accusing Trump of doing, Hillary has done the exact same thing. So it's not necessarily that I was voting for Trump in 2016, it was that I was voting against Hillary in 2016. And you might not be voting for Oz, you might, but I would definitely say you should vote against Fetterman. So that's really how we have to think about these elections uh, coming up. We have to think of the opposition when we vote. And of course, always appreciate the question from this loyal listening fan. And thank you for reaching out. Always feel free to message me on social media. Um, if it's an excellent question or perhaps you praise me enough, I will include it in future shows. And then uh, next we have here in Arizona, another Senate race in Arizona, Blake Masters. He who was endorsed by Trump, um, but we're seeing him struggle to beat current incumbent Democrat Mark Kelly. He's currently four points behind Mark, and I'm not seeing Masters attack him as much as, as he really should, considering that pretty much all the ads uh, Senator Kelly is running for, uh, is running are, are essentially him campaigning that he saved Arizonans so much money. Even though in this world that we call reality, Kelly's reckless support for government spending has led us to the worst inflation in decades, costing the average American family $8,600 a year. Not only that, on top of all that inflation, Kelly voted for tax increases on the middle and lower class with the Inflation Reduction Act. Remember, he did this also during a recession. A recession that has resulted from economic decisions he supports and has voted for. So not only has he raised taxes, these taxes would cost middle and lower class Arizonans $2,400. And according to the Heritage Foundation, the Inflation Reduction Act would cost an additional $1,200 in increased inflation, which would mean lost income for Americans and Arizonans. So, I mean, Kelly is really making himself an easy target here for masters. The economy is one of the top issues going into the 2022 uh, midterms, and I can't believe that Masters isn't capitalizing on this. The Masters and the Arizona GOP need to hit Mark Kelly hard. We can't afford to have him sitting in there for six years. Truly, we can't afford it. We will go broke. We will have no no more money. So we try. <laughs> I don't mean this. Uh, we can't afford him like figuratively. Literally, we can't afford him. We're gonna go broke. So I've talked a little bit about Republican strategies, you know, definitely focusing on the economy. What are Democratic midterm strategies? You know, we have Republicans, we have a clear path to victory if we focus on the economy, but Democrats have elected some different head scratching strategies. For example, their first, their first strategy is just to avoid debates. Don't debate, don't talk about how disastrous our platform is because obviously we're gonna lose votes. So the Democrats are moving to do a full Joe Biden to get elected this November and don't want to avoid any debates. John Fetterman has uh, declined debates against uh, Mr. Oz. Democratic gubernatorial candidate Katie Hobbs 
first refused to debate her Democrat opponent in the primaries and is now refusing to debate Republican Carrie Lake. So we can see, obviously, that's going to be one strategy that they're going to be using a lot is just hide. <laughs> hide because their, their, their ideas are bad. We can see we can see the end result of their policies. So obviously they don't they don't want to debate. And the next, the actual probably more meaningful strategy the Democrats are employing is focusing on Trump. And I think now that I think about it, I think the recent shenanigans that have gone on surrounding Trump are not merely a coincidence. I don't think it's a coincidence that Democrats started televising the January 6th committee hearings uh, this uh, last month during the summer. I think it's also very convenient the FBI raided Donald Trump's house now in August, you know, a few months before the, the midterms. You know, they obviously want to get Donald Trump's name back in the public eye. Like I said, because Democrats don't have anything really productive to show for their time in power, they're going to focus on Trump to try to scare independents to their side, and it seems to be working. I actually saw a great thread on Twitter by Ben Shapiro, um, who said, quote, Republicans are, are losing steam in the 2022 election. It goes on to talk about this false myth of the emerging Democratic ma minority majority. Uh, that it's some myth that this great multi-ethnic coalition is going to advance um, and it's going to propel Democrats to victory for generations. But we can see minorities fleeing the Democrat Party in vast numbers because of their wokeness and because of their, their policies are bad. Um, but, all, but because of this, because of this myth of the emerging Democratic minority majority, and Republicans believe that only some mystical, magical mystery man named Donald Trump can actually defeat it. And that we're, as Republicans, gripping onto him. And this is actually working out in the Democrats' favor. He says, quote, The more Republicans talk about Trump, the worse they do electorally, unquote. And he also brings up a good point that, quote, Americans vote against things, not for them. Remember what I said about Fetterman and Oz? That if you're not voting for, you're not really voting, you might not be voting for Oz, you're voting against Fetterman. I didn't vote for Trump in 2016, I voted against Hillary. Ben Shapiro continues, quote, If Republicans want Americans to vote against Biden, they have to campaign against him. Not against the FBI or the deep state or on whether Trump had the right to have boxes of classified documents in his closet, unquote. He continues, quote, There's a reason Democrats are eager to keep Trump at the center of the conversation, half of independents say Trump is a major factor in their vote, and they're breaking four to one for the Democrats. Republicans shouldn't play that game. If they do, they're cruising for a bruising, unquote. And I think there's a lot of wisdom in that statement and in that thread. Republicans have ample ammunition to use against Biden and Democrats this year. I've just brushed on some of them. Inflation. Afghanistan. I can't believe no one's talking about that. How are we letting Biden get away with that. Um, the border just keeps going on and on and on. The Democrats should lose soundly, but if we keep talking about Trump, the Republicans will lose because whether you like it or not, whether you support Trump or not, Trump is a very polarizing figure. And it seems like it's, he's especially polarizing for independents. And this is part of the reason why I hope he doesn't run in 2024, but rather would let someone like DeSantis run who could easily beat Biden or Harris or Buttigieg or any sort of foe that the Democrats place in front of him. I think he'd be able to beat them soundly, but 
like I said, if, I think if Trump runs again, he's going to invigorate the Democratic base to come out and vote against him, which would obviously be, be bad because Biden's beat Trump once. So what are the big red takeaways for this episode? First is obviously the Trump endorsement help the Trump endorsement helps Republicans win primaries, but too much Trump may hurt them in the general election. Second takeaway is is that we unfortunately operate in a system where we only have two candidates face off against each other and sometimes we have to vote for a candidate we may disagree with, but know that the other is far far worse. Keep that in mind. Like Ben Shapiro said, Oftentimes, we vote against somebody, not for them. Finally, we need to keep the screws to the Democrats if we want a shot at taking back our country this November. And of course, as always, get out and vote. The Democrats are going to try to discourage us with polls saying, oh, the Democrats are so likely to win. The Democrats are so likely to win. The, it's be the exact same thing that happened in 2016. Oh, Hillary, has a, Hillary started the election with a 92% chance of victory. And obviously Trump won that election pretty soundly. So we could definitely see something like that happen again. You know, polls are definitely not always right. Don't get discouraged. I'm preaching to you guys as much as I am to myself. So don't let what we're seeing right now get in our heads. Get out and vote. Make your voice heard. That's the only way to make your voice heard. Get out and vote. This is Big Red for the Big Red for America show. See you all next time. Like what you heard? Tune in next week as we tackle another topic. If you want to see more from the Big Red from America team, you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Getter, and Parlor. Once again, this is Big Red signing off for the Big Red for America show, where the opinions are always right and the facts are always cited.